Turn to Genesis chapter 12. We're looking at a study we're calling Abraham the friend of God. Really, we could call this how to be the friend of God. Because as we see Abraham uh, go through this process, it's the same process we also can go through uh, to become the friend of God as well. Uh, there are no questions tonight. We have questions typically to, for you to respond to. I wanted to get through this entire covenant before we have react to it. So that will be next week. In fact, on your outline tonight, you'll notice there's questions on the back. So those will be for uh, next Thursday evening. I want to read this again to you, the, the covenant that God set with Abraham, beginning in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 12. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Now we call this, as we talked about last Thursday, we call this the Abrahamic covenant. This is the agreement God made specifically with Abraham as what God was going to do with him and through him if Abraham would simply trust and obey. But it really goes beyond that. This covenant is certainly with Abraham, but what God purposed for Abraham before the foundation of the world is exactly what's being revealed here. This is not something God just came up with. This happened before there was ever time, before there was even a world. God purposed this for Abraham specifically. This was God's eternal purpose for Abraham, and this is what God had called him specifically to do. Now, as you look at that thing, and again, we talked about this some last week, it looks overwhelming to look at that. Now, I'm thinking Abraham probably felt the same way. Uh, but he had walked so close to God, he so knew God's heart, that he was willing to accept God's call to him, even though it most likely made no sense to him and seemed overwhelming when God presented it to him. And what we're doing here, we're walking through this covenant step by step, because abiding by this covenant is the way that Abraham became God's friend. And if that's our goal as well, and I'm assuming it is, we want to learn everything we possibly can from this covenant, of what God said, what God did, to complete this process in Abraham, and then make practical application to it, of it for our lives as well. We stopped last time in the middle of the, of the third part of the covenant. Find it in verse 2, where it says, I will make of thee a great nation. Now, it simply stated, God was going to make a great nation out of one man. And the man happened to be 75 years old, and the man happened to have no children. And so we ended last time realizing what God had called Abraham to do was a clear uh, revelation, clear illustration of what God had said to a uh, Isaiah much later. My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways aren't your ways. <laughs> you may think you have it figured out. God has an entirely different plan. No clearer illustration of that than what we find here in God's covenant with Abraham. Abraham grew to learn more and more, but the, only by exhibiting a trusting obedience in God. He learned God by trusting God. And it's that obedience that brought Abraham to the intimacy that he had with God, and God could talk to him like he did. The more Abraham trusted God and obeyed God, the more God did through him of what he had promised to do. And the more that Abraham knew God, the closer that God came to him. We talked a couple of weeks ago now about the fact that faith begins with what we know about God. You have faith because of what you know about him, and the more that you experience him, the more that you know him, and the more you know him, the more you can trust him and place more faith in him. It's a cycle that goes on. You learn him, you have faith, you have faith, you learn him, and on and on it goes. And so I'm going to repeat to you what should be becoming a familiar and necessary theme to this, to this entire study. A daily obedience to God, regardless, regardless of what he is asking of us or promising us, is the key to an intimate relationship with him. Daily obedience to God is what sets up that relationship. 
And without that, we will never truly be the friends of God in the fullest sense. And to remind all of us of this, because he is God, the only worthy response to him when he calls us to do something is, yes, sir. That's the only response we can give. And if we refuse to respond to God in in full obedience, we forfeit the opportunity to experience God's eternal best for our lives. Uh, however, on the other hand, uh, to say yes to God, to, uh, to say to yes to God to every opportunity He gives us, and to accept a question, every promise that God has made to us, will allow us, by experience, to understand even more about Him. We miss out learning Him if we don't say yes to Him. If we say no to what He says, we miss some opportunity that God wants to use to reveal more of Himself to us. Amen. So we respond positively to whatever God says. And by doing that, we experience the words that Paul quoted in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. You say yes to God and you'll see what Paul's talking about. Just say yes to him and you will see that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Uh, Jesus Christ made it clear to his disciples that his, their love for him was shown by their obedience to him. I'm going to have you put a marker in Genesis chapter 12 and go to John chapter 14. And we're going to flip back between the two for a minute or two. So John chapter 14, and also keep your hand there in Genesis. If we, re- if we respect, react to God in full obedience, Jesus Christ describes God's response to that. I want you to see John chapter 14 and verse 21. Now this is a promise from Jesus Christ, from God himself. Verse 21 of John 14, He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and manifest myself to him. Drop down to verse 23 there. John 14:23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. Now, just look at those verses a minute. Get all that Jesus Christ is saying there. Just two verses, but unbelievable truth found in those two verses. Our obedience to God results in being loved by the Father. And in response, Jesus and the Father will make their abode with us. That is a phrase that uh, it indicates one of the greatest expressions of intimacy that's found in all the Word of God. And it comes by being obedient to Him. If we are obedient to him, Jesus Christ and God the Father make their abode with us. They stay right with us all the time. That's what Abraham experienced. And he didn't experience it because he was some Old Testament saint who had status above us. He experienced that because of his obedience. And so we have the same opportunity that Abraham had uh, to be obedient to God and to the Father's will and to the Father's purpose. There is a direct line, folks, between obedience to God and friendship with God. Obeying God is a door that opens friendship with him. And the process is the same as it was with Abraham. God chose Abraham. Abraham obeyed. And an intimate relationship developed as a result. Go to John chapter 15. And look at verse 16. A familiar verse, I'm sure. John chapter 15 and verse 16. Again, catch what Jesus Christ is saying here. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. Watch it now, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Jesus Christ chooses us, and if we are obedient to his calling, the relationship that results is such that whatever we ask in God's name, he'll give it to us. 
Now, again, there's qualifications to that. We're not going to get into all that tonight. What we're saying is uh, there is an intimacy that develops when a person simply is obedient to what God has called them to do. God made a promise to Abraham. Abraham had no idea whatsoever that a kingdom of priests and a holy nation was going to result from that promise. He also had no idea that the Messiah was going to come from that nation. All Abraham had was a promise from God. But a promise from God is beyond anything that we could ever need or conceive of. And Abraham's faith in that, Abraham's obedience to that, activated the promise God did exceeding abundantly above all that he could ask or think. He could never have imagined a nation coming from him, a nation where a kingdom of priests would be developed, a nation where Jesus Christ himself would come through it. But that's what happened. That all came because of Abraham's obedience to God's call to him at that time. So the message from the third part of this covenant simply emphasizes again the importance of believing God and obeying immediately and completely whenever he makes a promise to us that identifies his purpose for us. Now let's move on. Go back to Genesis chapter 12. Notice the words in verse 2 again. I will make of thee a great nation. Watch it. And I will bless thee. I will bless thee. I want to park you on those words. Just look at those words for a minute. Short phrase. I will bless thee. Abraham, if you will obey me, I'll bless you. That's not a promise from a man like Abraham. Uh, was a man that is a promise from the almighty God himself and the promise is that God will take such a personal interest in those who are obedient to him that he promises to bless them and because he is God he has an unlimited capacity to bless so not only has Abraham become God's friend but now as a part of that relationship God is going to provide all his blessings to Abraham now I want to remind you I know you know this God is an infinite God And what that means is God has an immeasurable capacity to bless those who he chooses to bless. And God also is a supremely loving God. And it's his whole desire, his sole desire rather, to bless those who have found favor with him. So God has an infinite desire to bless and God has an infinite capacity to bless. Now, maybe you can. I can't even begin to grasp what that means for God to choose to bless one of his children. All that I know is this. If we enter into a relationship, a friendship relationship with God, that relationship comes with blessings from God that will simply overwhelm us. I love the verse of Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. I'm not going to go there. But what that verse says is, it speaks of God opening the windows of heaven and pouring out blessings. (laughs) I get the picture of God uh, sitting at the side of heaven there, and he has a barrel full of blessings with an unlimited, there's no bottom to it, and he just takes that barrel and just dumps those out on his children. And they just come and come and come and come and come. (laughs) Abraham's life is an example of that. That's an example of what it looks like for God to bless his children. And his life also became an encouragement to all of us of what could be obtained by being obedient to God's plan for us. God would pour his life into Abraham, just as Jesus Christ promised in John chapter 15, to pour his life into his disciples and as they abided in the vine. And here's what Jesus Christ said in John chapter 15 and verse 7. He said this to his disciples and to all of us. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. He says, if you'll abide in me and I'll abide in you, my words will abide in you. And then we'll ask what you will and it's going to be done for you. Jesus Christ set the requirement that his disciples must allow his words to abide in them. 
In other words, don't just listen to his words, but hear his words as he speaks. Listen to what he has to say and then obey what he has to say. Or in our case here in the 21st century, don't just read the word of God. Don't just look at those words. Rather, take them in and make them a part of you. And then obey them as the Spirit applies those words to you. And as a result of us doing that, uh, the Spirit flows through us. His work is going to be done through us. His blessings will come to us. And He will protect us. He'll stand for us against our enemies. He'll guide us to the exact place God wants us to be. That all comes as we abide in Him and allow His words to abide in us and then are obedient to the words that He's revealed to us. All of that is a part of God's blessing. God promises to bless His children. And what's going to happen is, as God does that, the world around us is going to see that we, and we'll have the opportunity to show the world what happens when a person who becomes a friend of God, uh, what the result of that is. They'll see God's blessings all over you. And you can tell them how that happened. Not about you, all about Him. That's all part of what God does to those who are obedient to Him. Look at the fifth part of the covenant. Back to verse 2 again. He says, I will bless thee, watch it, and make thy name great. Make thy name great. Now, you're probably aware that in Abraham's time, a person's name had meaning. Uh, Children weren't named just because the parents liked the name, liked the way it sounded, or because the name, uh, first name sounded good with the last name. Uh, They didn't have last names back then, so that wouldn't have worked anyway. A child is named something back in those days specifically because it meant something to the parents. They named a child a certain name because it set what the parents had hoped would be the character of that child. When they set that name on that kid, it was kind of like saying, here's how what I hope our child becomes. Here's what I hope our child develops into. So the promise here to make Abraham's name great is even more significant when you consider it in that context. God would make Abraham's name great to reflect the character that God saw in him. And specifically, Abraham's name would be shaped by the activity of God in him. He would make his name great as God worked through him. So we're back to it. Abraham had faith in God, and he obeyed God based on that faith. And God, in turn, blessed Abraham by working through him. And as God worked through him, God developed Abraham's character in such a way that it was apparent to all who watched Abraham's life that God was working through him. It was unmistakable. And God desires to work through us in the exact same way. Again, I know we see these Old Testament characters as as bigger than life. Folks, he was a man just like you and I, just like we are, just people like us. And God will work through us just like he worked through Abraham. He desires to do that. He wants to do that. And the work that he does is based solely upon how we respond to his activity in us as he works through us. God guides us and we obey God. God disciplines us and our holiness increases. God reveals himself to us so we can see him more clearly. God instructs us so we can know his will and do his will. In all that activity, our character is developed. And as our character is developed, people have the opportunity to see the effect of God's activity in the life of that one who is obedient. God works and we respond. And God works and we respond. And God works and we respond. And as we do that, our character is developed to exactly what God wants it to be. And then people look at you and say, That looks like Jesus Christ. (laughs) And you understand how I'm saying that? Jesus Christ shows through that. God shows through that as a result. Now, did God make Abraham's name great? Well, I think the answer to that is found in the fact that two of the New Testament writers, both Paul and James, use Abraham as an example of saving and daily faith. (laughs) 
He was the example they both used. If they want to illustrate faith, they used Abraham as that example. Did he make his name great? Absolutely. But I want to be clear about this. This did not occur only because of how Abraham walked with God. Please hear me. It occurred because of how God walked with Abraham. (laughs) That's how it happened. As God walked with him, he developed his character in him. We need to understand that we walk with him only because he walks with us. (laughs) We don't earn that. That's not something we get just because of who we are. We walk with him because he's willing to do that. We are faithful to him only because he has been faithful to us. What we gain in our relationship with the Lord we exist only because he is the great provider who gives all of it to us. It all comes from him. Amen. The character of God that we develop occurs because he reflects his character through us. That character that develops is his character manifested out. It's not our character. It's him reflecting his character through us. It is our relationship with God that develops our character. And it's our character that enhances and grows that relationship. But the source of all of that is God's willingness to make our names great. He chooses to do that as we are obedient to him, as we allow him to do his work through us. Now, go to verse 3. Let's look at the sixth element of this covenant. Verse 3 says, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee. Uh, And and I'm sorry, let me go back up to verse 2. I got ahead of myself. Verse 2, the last part. I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Now look at that. If I work through you and you cooperate with my plan for you, you will be a blessing. The natural result of somebody who has been blessed by God is to affect those around them by being a blessing to them. With Abraham, Scripture shows us how that Abraham's wife Sarah shared in that blessing. Abraham's nephew Lot also shared in that blessing. I want to read just, in fact, you're in Genesis, go a couple pages over to chapter 19. Chapter 19, look at verse 29. Uh, God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And before he does it, as he does that, he rescues Lot out of that situation. But I want you to see why he did that. Look at verse 29 of Genesis chapter 19. Watch it. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of, of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. Lot survived why? Because God remembered Abraham. That's why he survived. When God told Abraham that he would be a blessing, God meant that he would bless others through Abraham. In other words, God would be be so close to Abraham that his presence would be so apparent and always apparent, and God would work through him as a result and make him a blessing to other people. I'm not sure we always get or fully comprehend how our obedience to God can and should be a blessing to those around us. One of the natural results of our willingness to allow God to work through us is that others around us should benefit from that. The children of Israel were blessed because Moses obeyed. Many benefited because of Samuel's willingness to obey. An entire nation was blessed because Abraham obeyed God. Every saved person listening here today has been blessed because of Paul's willingness to obey God's message to him. And if we have been obedient to God's call, we ought to be able to point to others who have been blessed by us as a result. Others should be blessed because of our obedience. There ought to be some or many who have been introduced to the Lord or have been drawn closer to the Lord or who have come back to the Lord because of our obedience to God's call to us. Now, I realize we're not always aware of who receives that blessing. Our lives have an effect on people that we are often unaware of. 
But at the same time, and I believe this, if we can't name someone who's been blessed by our faithfulness, that's a problem. That's a problem. You ought to be aware of at least somebody in your life who is being blessed because you are being obedient to what God has called you to do. And if our lives are having the opposite effect, if people are discouraged, or if they receive a faulty picture of God due to how we live, there is something seriously wrong with that. That's not the way it's supposed to be. A true obedient believer cannot take pride or pleasure in how many people are put off by them or by how much controversy and discomfort they cause. That is not what we're trying to do. Our lives may create conflict because people are presented with the gospel. That's possible. But if we are constantly creating conflict and difficulty as we live our lives, if situations and the activities that we're involved in are constantly uh, in disarray and causing disharmony, we're not fulfilling God's purpose. That's not what God has called us to do. God's activity in us should draw people closer to him. That should be the effect. In this day of conflict and turmoil, our lives should bless others by bringing a calm and a peace that only comes as God works through us. When you walk into a room, people ought to go, <sighs> not, and wait to see what happens next. And I experience both sides of that. I know how it goes on both ends. People should see God's work in us, and they should see that as we associate with them. We shouldn't even have to say anything about it. They should just be aware of it because of our response to how things go in this world around us. All right, go to verse 3 now. Here is the seventh element in the covenant. He says there, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. Now again, every part of this is so important, and there's so much uh, depth to it, we can't even expound on all of it. But what God is telling Abraham is this, no one will touch you without going through me. That's what he's saying. If you'll be obedient to me, if you'll follow me, if you'll perform my purpose for you, they won't be able to get to you without going through me first. Now, those who were around at Abraham's time would be aware of the great difficulty that they were creating if they chose to get at Abraham and, and get to him. If they attack Abraham, they have to go through God first. They are in immediate and grave danger if they choose to treat Abraham badly. <laughs> They're taking some, uh, a big risk if they do that. Uh, in this same chapter, chapter 12, there's a story. Abraham told Pharaoh and, and the Egyptians that Sarah was, Sarah was his sister. And he did that because he was afraid he would be killed and they would take his wife if if they thought that that was his wife. And so what happened was because Pharaoh thought that she was his sister, he set his eyes on her. He wanted to make her one of his wives. Drop down to verse 17 here of Genesis chapter 12. And notice what it says. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. He set his eyes on Sarah, and he had to get through God to get to her. And it says that God plagued them with great plagues because of Abraham's wife. Pharaoh got too close to Abraham, got too close. And God stepped in and dealt with that situation as a result. The same thing happened in the book of Numbers. Uh, Miriam and Aaron decide to oppose Moses' leadership, and they do it publicly in front of the entire nation. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 9, we have God's response to that. It says there, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. <laughs> and only as Moses interceded to God on, her, on the behalf of Miriam was she uh, restored back to health. <laughs> you know what that says? They got too close to Moses. Yeah. And God stood in the way, and when they got too close, God dealt with that. What that means to us in this day and age is this. 
People need to be very, very careful in criticizing or attacking or undermining that one who is doing the work that God has called him or her to do. Be very careful about that. Having been in church as long as I have and been in church work as long as I have, I've seen many folks pass through who thought that they could do the work better or thought that their ideas should take precedent over everybody else's ideas. And they became vocal about that and would attack the one who was in leadership who was doing what God had called them to do. Now, sometimes you see the consequences to that in the life of that one who chooses to attack. Most of the times you don't. But what I do know is this. God blesses those who bless and God curses those who curse those who are simply doing what God's called them to. God blesses who, God, who, they, who bless and God curses those who curse. And I know that God stands in the doorway of every person who is serving God and that God stands in the doorway of every church that is serving God the way God has called it to. And if you're doing God's will the way God's called you to do it, God stands in your doorway and not going to let him through without getting through him first. And God stands at the doorway of this church. I believe this is all my heart. God stands at the doorway of this church because we're trying to do what God has called us to do and stops those from getting in who want to destroy this work. But they got to get through him first. Any attempt to go through that door and attack the person or the work means going through God first. And I don't understand why people would do that. <laughs> I don't understand why people are so willing to take God on. I guess like Aaron and Miriam, uh, the pride gets in the way and they simply allow the pride to lead them. If we are faithful to God's work, we become God's presence to whoever we associate with. And those who go with us in the work will be blessed as a result. And those who oppose God's work done through us will find God's opposition plaguing them every step of the way. And I want to say this to you. It's not because of us. It's only because we follow God's plan. And as we do that, God stands in there for us. God blesses those who bless. God curses those who curse because of the will, our willingness to allow him to work through us and do his work. It's not because we have God's special favor. The blessing or the curse comes not because of us, but because of God's work being done through us and our willingness to allow him to do that. And God will honor and protect any work that is doing it the way he wants them to. And he will oppose anybody who opposes that work. I believe that with all my heart. That's why the church is still in existence. All churches that are preaching the word of God, that's why they still exist. Because this government and this world wants to take you out. They don't want the church around. It's still here because God stands in the doorway. He's not going to let them get to his church. Not going to happen. Now, we may, uh, we may not always do it the way God wants us to. We may not always understand what he wants us to do. But if our heart is right, if we're doing it with the right motive, God will protect the work and oppose those who oppose the work. If a work is that is based in sound doctrine, has a goal of reaching other people for Jesus Christ, uh, that's the work God's going to honor. And by the way, be careful of criticizing somebody else's work. Be very, very careful of criticizing a work that somebody else is doing. They may not do it your way or do it the way you think it should be done. But if it is sound biblically, if it's sound doctrinally, if it, has, if it has the goal of reaching others for Jesus Christ, I think we would be very wise to keep our opinions to ourselves and stay out of the way. <laughs> And let them do their work. Let God take care of things. Always a better route to take. We simply stay true to what God has led us to do. And let everybody else answer to him for what they're doing. And you assure God's blessing when you do that. And to do anything else puts us in the crosshairs of God's curse. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be anywhere close to it. All right. The eighth and final element of this uh, covenant. Last part of verse 3. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. 
Here is the heart of God's call to Abraham. God chose and God called and God shaped Abraham as the man of faith so that through him and through his descendants, God could bless all the families of the earth. God's heart was to seek and to redeem those who would come after Abraham. God's goal was to get creation back to where it was before the fall. Abraham was a starting point for that work. <laughs> he's the one who made it. He's the one who got, got the thing off the ground. Now, Abraham had limited knowledge or any, really any knowledge of what God was doing. So even as God told him this, I'm sure he only had a glimpse of God's purpose. And that would be true for the remainder of his life. I am sure I believe with all my heart. And if you read it through, you can, I think it's in there. Abraham walked step at a time. He had no clue what God was doing until the next step. And he just kept walking by faith and following God. And God continued him on that path. And God fulfilled exactly what he said he would fulfill because that's how Abraham approached it. God's full plan wasn't revealed until thousands of years later as Jesus Christ came onto the scene and lived and died for the sins of all families of the earth. But that was the purpose when he started this whole process with Abraham. He was going to bring a Messiah through that line, and Abraham was a starting point for that. By one man's obedience, by one man's obedience, God would provide to all of the world a Savior from their sin. Through one man's obedience, uh, he would answer the problem that has plagued man since the fall of Adam. He did it through one man. What a magnitude of blessing. What an amazing blessing he put upon this world because of the faithfulness of one man. When Jesus Christ came onto the scene, here's how he was announced in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That began with Abraham, with Abraham's faithfulness. But not only that. It wasn't just about God blessing his people. He went all in saving his people. It went beyond all of that. It wasn't a blessing just to Israel. What Jesus Christ brought was something that would benefit the entire world. First John chapter two and verse two. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Just think about that. Abraham's faithfulness way back then provided blessed, the blessing of providing propitiation and forgiveness of sin for the entire world. It started with one man, with one man. Through one man, fellowship with God would be restored. Sin would be forever paid for. Eternal life would be made, not just a hope, but a reality by the faithfulness of one man. And that is something that would be provided to the entire world. And it began with just Abraham. Now, as impossible as this is for us to comprehend, I want us to allow that to impact us as much as we're able to allow it to impact us. Because you see, folks, Abraham was simply a man of faith and obedience. That's all he was. He wasn't anything more than that. He was a man of faith and obedience. That was his only qualification. And God made this enormous promise that would be fulfilled through him. You know what that means? It means a couple of things. First, it means that nobody in this room, there's nobody in this room who can't meet those same qualifications. Every person in this room can be a person of faith and obedience. I don't care who you are. That's a a blanket qualification for all of us. We can all do that. You and I can each exercise faith and you and I can each be obedient. And so what that means is God can use us in the exact same way that he used Abraham. Now, since that's the case, That means God can make a promise that is beyond comprehension and he can fulfill that promise through any person in this room. Any person listening. God can make a God-sized promise and he can use one of us to make it happen. Why? Because all it takes is faith and obedience. 
doesn't take any other special qualification, no special training, no Bible school, none of that. Just faith and obedience and a promise from God, and that's all it takes to do a great work. To do a great work. I want to remind you of something else that might slip by us if we're not careful. The greatest work that anybody can do on this earth is lead a soul to Jesus Christ. That is the greatest work anybody can do. Nobody can bless, be blessed in any greater way than having their sin forgiven and having fellowship with the Father restored to them. And so you see what happened here is this. Abraham was placed on a mission. That of fulfilling God's plan through which all the world would be blessed. Every believer in this room has also been placed on a mission. Just like Abraham was. And if we fulfill it, all those in our world will be blessed as well. And I wish I could say this in such a way that we could get the full impact of it. I simply can't. The day you got saved, God encountered you. The day you got saved, God showed up in your life. Here he was. And that encounter was twofold. First of all, he forgave your sin. But secondly, that encounter by God, the day you got saved, was the beginning of God enacting his eternal purpose in you. That day started the process of God working his plan out through you. The day you got saved. The day he encountered you with salvation. And the main point of that second part of that encounter was the fact that uh, he was going to use us to reach our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you got saved, he put you on a path, a mission to win others to Jesus Christ. Lead others to him. That's what he did for all of us as, as he encountered us. And that mission uh, reaches just as far as Abraham's mission reached and impacted his, our world just like it impacted his world. And although we may see Abraham's work as enormous and God's promise as incomprehensible, his work and our work are identical. The impact that we can have on our world is just like the impact that Abraham had on his world and no less. How does it come? By faith and obedience. By faith and obedience. I realize, folks, this covenant we've read through the last couple of weeks is specifically for Abraham. I get that. But practically speaking, that is a covenant that we can all find meaning from and we can find purpose in and we can find hope in. We are all called tonight. You are all called on a mission to God from God to this world. You are on a mission tonight. That's why you're still on this earth. You are on a mission tonight. And that mission began the moment you got saved as God begins conforming you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And what we need to be is God's presence to our world in such a way that they are drawn to him through us. I want you to uh, go to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to close. Ephesians chapter 4. I sometimes think that we get this strange idea that only certain people are called to this mission. That only certain people are trained or called in a vocational way to the mission God has put us on. Folks, that is simply not the case. <laughs> We are all called to the same mission of reaching our world with the gospel, just like Abraham reached his world with the gospel through his obedience. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 1. Paul says this, I therefore, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, beseech you, beg you, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. There it is. There's the commission. All Paul begs you to do, all Paul beseeches us to do, is walk worthy of the vocation that we have been called to. What is that vocation? The vocation is leading others to Jesus Christ. By our lives, revealing Jesus Christ to him. By our lives, showing them that there's a change in life that can occur through the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the work upon the cross. So we walk with him in the mission that he's planned for us. We allow him to shape us into his friend. 
and then we let him use us to have an impact on our world, just as Abraham had an impact on his world. Amen. Folks, we may see it differently. I want to dispel that idea. You are no different. We are no different from Abraham. <laughs> all called to do a work for God. All called to do that work as long as we are here. The mission is reach as many in your world as you possibly can with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand.